Good morning, guys. Welcome to Pierce Point. My name's Ethan, and this is really weird. This is the first time anyone's ever started off this way, but Dylan just gave me a gummy bear, so if you hear any chewing noises in the mic, I'm really sorry. Maybe you can make a, one of those viral, what is it, AMSR videos that people make where you're just chewing sounds. That's what this can be. Adam's the only one that didn't laugh. Everyone laughed, and Adam just looked more serious, like, how'd you know I watched that? <laughs> That's what Adam looked like. But anyway... I'm very excited because I am obviously the most qualified person to talk about this topic of what does it mean for women to be the weaker vessel. You can imagine how thrilled I was when Mark gave that to me. I wasn't excited. I whined a lot to a lot of people and said, what in the world am I going to talk about? Adam and Brittany can attest. They were there. They were actually the only ones there. I was talking to like 20 people and it was just those two. But anyway, we'll get started. So... In Scripture, specifically 1 Peter 3.7, I just mentioned it, there's a reference to women being described as the weaker vessel. So this verse has, I'm sure you guys have all been around it or adjacent to the conversation. It's been a huge thing that people have talked about, and it's changed over years and how people use it, and sometimes it's been abused. But it's important to understand the historical and cultural context as well as the scriptural context of this. And that's what we're going to dive into. We're going to try to take a holistic view of this idea and what's it mean. So part of the context is understanding what the Bible is. And it's a collection of texts written over a span of centuries by different authors within specific cultural and historical context. Remember, it's written over centuries. So Think about our own culture. How much has our culture changed in the last century? Just one year here in America. Well, that's not unique to us. Sure, it seems to change quickly, but it changed a lot back then, too, over time. So we need to take into that account what culture they were in. We need to take into account what literary genre the text is and the author's intent, the cultural norms prevailing at the time, and then the broader context of the New Testament. And all of this applies to understanding this idea in 1 Peter 3, 7 as well. So we'll start with the broader context of the New Testament, so the teachings of Jesus. And those teachings consistently emphasize the equal worth and value of all individuals, no matter the gender. Jesus' interactions with women, as recorded in the Gospels, demonstrate a compassionate and inclusive attitude towards them. You know, women played really big roles in Jesus' ministry, and they were the first to witness his resurrection among those. These examples underscore the equal standing of Jesus, um, of women in Jesus' eyes. And if you guys, we've talked about it at length, but if, any, if anyone is confused about why it's important that women were some of the first to see Jesus', Jesus resurrection, ask um, anyone in leadership here. They'd be happy to talk to you about it. So in First Peter, the book which the phrase weaker vessel is found, you need to understand the context of what First Peter is. And it's a letter written by the Apostle Peter, you guessed it, in the first century AD. It's addressed to early Christian communities and contains instructions for living out the faith in the midst of various challenges and societal contexts, just like the rest of the New Testament, essentially. And in this particular verse, Peter is providing guidance to husbands about how they should be treating their wives. Normally, we should read even more um, uh, scriptural context, but we don't have that much time today. So we're just going to read the verse itself, First uh, Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live, your wife, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the women as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So that doesn't sound like a very demeaning thing, does it? I mean, he's, 
he's saying to live with them in an understanding way, showing honor to them. And that prefaces his phrase, the weaker vessel. So already you can kind of see a glimpse of the author's intent there just in his wording. But to better understand the meaning of that phrase, weaker vessel, it's helpful to examine the original Greek term and look at those possible nuances, right? So the phrase weaker vessel in Greek is, I don't have enough fun for this, but esthene skui. That's totally not it, but it sounds kind of like it. The term asthene conveys the idea of weakness or fragility, while skui refers to an object, vessel, or instrument. So that's already different. So we have weaker vessel or weakness or fragile, so denoting characteristics, and vessel or instrument. Already that sounds cool. You could have the alternative, the fragile instrument or something like that. However, it is important to note that the word weaker here, see, doesn't necessarily imply inferiority or lesser worth. It doesn't. It refers to a characteristic that the object requires special care or attention. So like fine china or blown grass, you don't blow grass anymore, hopefully. Like fine china or blown glass, neither of these things is lesser than, say, a strong metal. But when it comes to their purpose or task, they differ. And for instance, I'd much rather have a suit of armor made out of steel than intricate pottery. And in, some, in the same fashion, it's much more convenient to take a drink out of a glass than an iron 40-gallon water trough. So in this verse, the phrase weaker vessel is used metaphorically to denote physical and emotional vulnerability that women may experience. It highlights the needs for husbands to treat their wives with understanding, consideration, and honor. It's not a statement about inherent worth or value of women compared to men, but rather an exhortation for husbands to fulfill their responsibilities in a loving and respectful manner. It's a lot of fun, see? It is also worth noting that this verse is situated in the broader passage that addresses the mutual responsibilities of both men and women in a Christian marriage. You know, the preceding verses, you know, one through six, provide instruction to wives about their conduct and attitude toward their husbands, and the verse about weaker vessel should be understood in the larger context of mutual love, respect, and submission within the marriage relationship, like Ephesians, take that for example. And then we also have to look at cultural context as well, right? This wasn't a run-of-the-mill verse. This wasn't something people would hear all the time. Because in that context, the first century Greco-Roman society was very, very much so patriarchal with strict, strict gender rules and expectations. Women were often considered subordinate to men and had limited legal rights and social autonomy, often to the point of just being treated like objects or property. So in this context, Peter's instructions for husbands to treat their wives with understanding and honor would have been revolutionary or even countercultural to some readers. So rather than reinforcing the hierarchical view of gender, this verse can be seen as an encouragement to husbands to embrace a countercultural approach to value and protecting their wives, valuing them, recognizing their unique needs and vulnerabilities emphasizes the importance of empathy and emotional support. It, it, it's putting women up in their differences. And it's not alone. Various biblical passages emphasize the equal worth of men and women. In Genesis, we see that God created man and woman in his image. He declared that it was not good for man to be alone. That's Genesis 2, 18. God created Eve as a suitable helper for Adam, emphasizing the complementary nature of their relationship. That same title, helper, 
by the way, that women is given in Genesis is the exact same title that the Holy Spirit holds when he is mentioned in the New Testament by both Christ and Paul. You know, that verse, but I tell you the truth, this is a verse in scripture, it's John 16, 7, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that Christ go away, for I do not, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. It's the same word used for the Holy Spirit as it is for women in Genesis. And Proverbs 31 portrays a vivid portrayal of a godly woman who is industrious, wise, and caring. She does everything from being a mother to running a business and buying land. Her skill sets are versatile and a blessing to her husband, her community, and the world at large. And it's not meant to be like a, a Ten Commandments of what it means to be a good wife, whether you've checked off all the boxes. If you haven't, you're still a virtuous woman. Rather, it's, a, it's poetry written reflecting the kind of legacy that a godly woman can have and the gift that she can be to all of those around her. And Titus 2, 3 through 5 encourages women to be reverent, virtuous, and teachers of good things with an emphasis on the importance of family, love, and kindness. And these are things that women tend to excel at. Titus is encouraging ladies to use their strengths to their fullest, not demeaning them, leaving diaper changes and dishes as their only works for the kingdom. That's not what he's doing. That's a, a narrow and out-of-context focus, and it's not what the author is trying to communicate. And we have Ephesians 5, 25 through 28. That instructs husbands to love their wives sacrificially, just as Christ loves the church. And the Bible teaches that husbands and wives are called to love and respect and submit to one another. That's Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. And it's this mutual submission and love within marriage relationships that reflects the sacrificial love of Christ for the church. It's a partnership where both partners contribute their unique gifts and strengths to the relationship and glory of God. So scripture acknowledges that there are distinct differences in roles and responsibilities. We just read through all of that scripture, or rather what the scripture was about. We didn't have time to read it all. So all these different things and unique responsibilities and roles assigned to each gender, men and women. These roles aren't meant to restrict us, but to enhance our lives, to help us collectively fulfill God's given purpose. They're all complementary. We have examples of, you know, men and women throughout Scripture and, and different leaders in Scripture, but we really don't have time to go through those. Um, but they all highlight the contributions and diverse roles of men and women and how they work together to accomplish God's purpose. And then we have Galatians 3.28, which is a value text, right? It's not a role text, but a value text. And it states that in Christ there is neither male nor female. This highlights the unity of all believers, that we're called to love one another with respect, honor, and recognize the unique contributions that each of us has. So gender roles within the context of the Bible and Christianity encompass the principles of equality and complementary and unique God-given roles. So men and women are equally valued and cherished by God with each possessing distinct strengths and responsibilities. And these roles aren't meant to restrict or diminish any of us, but they're meant to enhance our relationships, both individually and collectively, arguably collectively even more, because they promote mutual support and enable us to fulfill our God-given purpose. So it's within this framework that men and women can flourish, contributing our gifts and talents to the glory of God and the benefit of our communities. This is how we build the temple. This is how we build up the body of Christ. So the phrase weaker vessel 
and 1 Peter 3.7. It shouldn't be taken as a statement of inferiority or lesser worth of women compared to men. Instead, we need to understand it as a call for husbands to treat their wives with tenderness, understanding, and honoring, recognizing, and valuing their unique needs and vulnerabilities. This verse is situated in the broader teachings of Jesus and the New Testament and affirms the equal worth and value of all individuals while addressing specific contexts and marriage relationships in the first century Greco-Roman society. So interpreting this verse requires the holistic approach that takes into account the literary, cultural, and historical context, as well as the overall biblical message of mutual respect between men and women. And what does that all mean for us? Because that's it's a rather boring topic. At least it is to me. That's why I wasn't very excited about it. Because all of this stuff seems very normal to me and things that we all ex ex accept readily. But that's because of who I'm around. You know, our culture at large isn't like that. You know, most of the people out there today, um, when you go and talk to them and, and you mention these ideas, Christian or not, we, we don't have these ideas. Um, depending on what generation we're referencing, we have vastly different beliefs. You know, the older generation is going to draw the lines very deep, usually. These, there's always exceptions to rules and use these lines to divide us. And the younger, and this is more common, would like to see the lines erased altogether stating there is even no difference between men and women. That's the new thing, right? And the truth is that we have a difference, very clearly, but it's a difference made to complement each other, not divide. It's a difference that attributes to things that help us build up in unity and work together. That's what it's meant to do. They're attributes that are made to build us all up in unity, not separate us. We have different strengths and weaknesses and we will find that we glorify God best and live our life with the most content when we acknowledge our differences and use them to our advantage rather than using them to divide. And even more common these days, refuse they exist altogether. But here, I'll go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, your wonderful designs, your creation, and how it is all meant to work together. Help us to honor you, uh, submit to your ways, glorify you. We love you in your name we pray. Amen.